I'm Dr. Stephanie Champion. And I'm Dr. Tamara Agnew. And today we're interviewing Dr. Tarumi Narashima. Who uh, completed her PhD on microtonal spectrums. And she needed a whole new instrument for that one. Yep. In this series of career sessions, all of our guests hold doctorates in their chosen field, and we invite them to talk about their pathway from PhD candidate to present day. We ask them what they've learned, and we also ask them to give advice to people who might be thinking about a career in research when they've finished school or when they've finished their undergraduate degree. Welcome to Career Sessions with your hosts, Steph and Tamara, proudly sponsored by Inspiring South Australia. Okay, so today we're talking to Tarumi about her PhD journey. Um, her thesis was titled Mapping the Microtonal Spectrum Using Irv Wilson's Generalised Keyboard. And we'll delve really into that, what that means. Actually means, yeah. <laughs> uh, she completed her PhD at the University of Wollongong in the Faculty of Creative Arts. She graduated in 2013. So Tarumi... Thank you for joining us today. And we're going to start by asking you what your role is now, what you do in your typical day and, and what you're up to at the moment. My role is as an academic. I'm a senior lecturer in music at the University of Wollongong, the same university where I did my PhD. Mm. Um, a typical day during the teaching session would involve um, many hours with students in the classroom or a music lab or in workshops. Um, sometimes I give lectures or run tutorials. Other times I'm um, running around different rehearsal rooms between um, students with lots of guitars and other instruments. Um, during the day I might have meetings with other staff members or individual meetings with some of my postgraduate students. And then in the evening is when I do a lot of my preparation work, whether it's for teaching. I try and fit in a bit of my research somewhere along <laughs> the way and a bit of time for my music as well. So during the, the teaching semester, your students dominate your time, but outside of teaching, that's when you have a chance to do your own research? Yeah. Ideally. Um, that's, that's the idea. That's the idea. Things seems to be seem to be changing all the time at, in universities, especially um, at the moment. Mm -hmm. So um, in between teaching, we do a lot of, you know, preparation work, redesigning, um, coursework, as well as our own. So even when you're not enjoy. running lectures, you are thinking about your teaching. Oh, all the how time. Has <laughs> it, how has it been for you during COVID? Have you been able to um, see your students or has everything been done online? Um, I'm actually on sabbatical oh, leave or yep. study leave at the moment, but I ended up being called back to do a bit of teaching, which is not the usual um, process. Um, and those classes were run online for the first time. Mm. Really challenging to try and do music <laughs> through Zoom or, or whatever other online sort of platforms. I'm sure you um, have great speakers lag. and great headphones, but it's not the same as being there. No. Yeah, the time lag um, mm. was a real problem. So I'm clapping a rhythm and then, you know, students <laughs> are saying, oh, can, can you do that again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's sing together. And it was sort of like this sort of polyphonic. Um... <laughs> uh, let's go back to where you started um, when you were finishing school and your thoughts about what you wanted to do when you left school. Did you know? And also, were your, are your parents university students or were they students? Both my parents actually went to university in Japan. Um, and for as long as I can remember, my mother in particular used to always say, oh, university, it's the best time of your life. You're, you've got to go to university. So I think I, I um, never 
thought that I wouldn't go to university um, after high school. Um, towards the end of high school, when we all have to decide what courses we want to apply for, I knew that I really definitely wanted to study music, but um, my parents definitely did not want me to study music. <laughs> they wanted me to study the good old, you know, either medicine or law. Yeah. Um, so one parent wanted the medicine, the other was very keen on law, but um, so long as it wasn't music, I think they wouldn't have <laughs> minded. It was really strong opposition from them to the extent that they um, said they were going to disown me if I pursued wow. the music thing. And I remember um, applying for different universities. You had to audition, so I'd organise my travel um, by myself and sort of almost secretly try and sneak off to go to auditions. But I, I didn't know at that stage whether I'd be able to get into any music course. Mm. I said, ah, oh, look, if I don't get into music, then okay, I'll, I'll keep in, I'll, I'll do medicine. <laughs> <laughs> that was my attitude at the time. So from their perspective, were they concerned if you did music that you wouldn't get a job or that you wouldn't be able to support yourself? Yeah, they thought music is just a hobby, um, how you're going to earn a living just from doing music. Why waste, why waste your life? doing something like that when you could be doing something more useful um, was, was their thought. Yeah. Well, you showed unusual. them. <laughs> you work at a university now, so you're clearly managing. I like to say to my, my, my well, I like to think anyway, <laughs> well, mum didn't get her doctor, her medical doctor, but I, I did a different kind of sort of a doctoral degree. Hey, it counts. It's a being a real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you did your undergraduate degree at Wollongong as well? No, I did my undergraduate degree at Sydney University. Um, funny thing is, I actually applied for Wollongong University as well, and I got accepted into both, and I was really tossing up between the two. Um, I even flipped a coin. <laughs> of course, that's how the best uh, decisions, life decisions are made. <laughs> well, but um, the, the, the thing that clinched it was I ended up getting a, a scholarship um, mm. at one of the residential colleges at uh, Sydney Uni, and because I was so worried about how I was going to support myself, um, because my parents said they were going to decide me if I did music, <laughs> I, I went for Sydney Uni, and that's how I ended up there. And is and did you say that is that where you set on to do your master? Did you do masters? Yeah, uh, well, I did my um, undergraduate degree at Sydney University <laughs> um, in the music department. They're quite a famous music department with a, a lot of um, big names in Australian music composition, which is why I wanted to go there. Um, but there was at the time there was this sort of strange, maybe kind of imagined rivalry between Sydney University and Sydney Conservatorium. The two have amalgamated since. Mm. But um, after finishing my undergrad degree, I felt like I wanted to get the other side of the story. So mm. I ended up doing my master's at Sydney Conservatorium. Um, and it was during my time there that I came across a particular teacher who ended up being my supervisor. Uh, and when my supervisor... Um, left the conservatorium, he actually moved to Wollongong University. Oh, and that's yeah. how I, with a, a bunch of other postgraduate students, sort of followed him down to Wollongong. So you realised during your master's that you wanted to do a PhD or, or what point did that decision occur to you to do a PhD? Mm, I think it was during the master's. I knew that after I finished my undergrad that I wanted to learn a bit more and get a different side of the story, especially around music composition, which is why I went to the conservatorium. And um, while I was there, I guess I, I would see different people who were maybe doing PhD or, or um, doctoral level work. Um, but there was another 
another sort of um, particular meeting. Um, while I was doing my master's, this, this supervisor encouraged us to go to conferences. Mm -hmm. And I went to a computer music conference and I was, you think music and you think a lot of females do music as well as men. Mm -hmm. um, but at this particular conference at that time, there were only two female presenters who, who gave papers. Yeah. And um, it was a, a very, well, a much more senior composer that I knew about from years ago and really respected. She came up to me and she said, ah, you got that little twinkle in your eye. <laughs> you know, it's never hurt me, hurt me to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. You should really pursue it. Mm -hmm. And um, even though I'd already been thinking about it in the back of my mind, I think having that little extra boost from a person that I never met before mm. to say something like that to me um, and give me that kind of encouragement was um, something that I really, really appreciate. Yeah. So do you think you would have done it had you not had that encounter? I think I would have done it anyway, anyway but yeah. it was just this, it just made me realise that um, some words of encouragement mm. they don't cost anything but if you see something or meet someone and it was just a, a you know um it's it's a composer that i have since met on a couple of other occasions mm. but i i feel really deeply um sort of appreciative yeah. of the fact that she made that special sort of um a comment to me at yeah. that time yeah um so when you decided to do your phd did you know what project you wanted to do or were you open to suggestions from your supervisor? Now, that is a really good question. Um, I knew but through my master's I became interested in this area called microtonality mm. um, and I knew that I wanted to pursue that further through a PhD um, but I didn't know what specifically within that field. So uh, what, in the meantime... What is it? What's microtonality? Uh -huh. <laughs> Yeah, because well, we totally is, know, but, you know, just explain to the audience. <laughs> <laughs> this is the way I, I try to explain it. Um, I think many people uh, have heard about scales, major scales and minor scales in music. They may have even come across terms like tones and semitones. Um, so a lot of the music that we tend to hear every day is um, use, uses major scales, minor scales, the sorts of notes that you would find on an instrument like the piano. Mm -hmm. And we're taught um, usually when we study music um, that the smallest distance between any two notes um, is called a semitone. So if you, you played any two notes on the, the piano, um, any two notes that are next to each other, that's the smallest interval or distance called the semitone. Mm -hmm. And we kind of assume that music is made from the notes that you would get on a piano. Mm -hmm. Like that's an instrument that you make music with. But in reality, you can actually get notes that fall between the cracks of the piano. So instead of semitones being the smallest interval, you can get microtones. Mm -hmm. And so I'm interested in um, playing in, in, in those areas that fall between the gaps. So instead of just making music from the good old major scale, minor scale, mm -hmm. um, I'm interested in figuring out ways of making music from these other possibilities. So opening and up a whole new range of options for somebody exactly. writing music. Just like the, the, the yeah. tiny notes between the notes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So instead of just um, assuming that music is just made from the notes you get on the piano, mm -hmm. um, it was for me like um, uh, a whole new palette of new colours was opened up. So instead of just working with the like, literally the black and white notes of the piano, it's like, oh, there's all these other possibilities wow. that become available as soon as you understand that there are other notes possible. Mm -hmm. So why take it for granted? Why don't we make um, design our own 
new building blocks that haven't been explored yet to make a new type of music. I mean, that's the grand view <laughs> of um, why I became attracted to this area as a composer. That was what you were that trying was, to investigate. <laughs> it's probably too broad a question. It was the research area that yeah. I knew that I was interested in. But what ended up happening was this particular supervisor, um, uh, his name is um, Greg Schema. He got some research funding for a project to do with Carillion's um, bells. And my master's um, had some relationship with that. And so originally when I applied to do um, the PhD, it was to be part of his research project. What happened though <laughs> is um, in the meantime, um, he decided that he wanted someone, a PhD student with a bit more of an engineering background mm. for his project. And he said, oh, look, you, you've, you've got a, you managed to get um, your own scholarship to do your PhD at Wollongong University. So we'd like to keep this ARC scholarship money to get <laughs> someone else. And so it was actually really hard for the at the beginning of my PhD. I was raring to go because, you know, I had left full-time employment in order to become a, a full-time student again. Mm. Um, but uh, I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing. So yeah. that, that was probably one of the biggest struggles for me in my PhD, knowing what it was about. <laughs> so did you go, so you didn't go straight from study to study to study? Did you, you didn't go from straight from your master's to your PhD? Did you have a, a time in between? A little bit, yeah. So after I finished my undergraduate um, music degree in composition, I actually along the way did a, a diploma of education. So um, no, as you do, just mother, throw that in. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. My, my mother um, again, um, she had always said that she had done a debate and she thought it was a really useful qualification. Mm -hmm. She's a she's retired now, but she was a teacher and. Um, uh, I, from a very young age, I was tutoring um, younger students in whatever subjects and um, it seemed like a sensible thing to do. Um, as an undergrad, I was also spent one year editing the student newspaper with a, a bunch of friends. Yeah. So I didn't want to be doing my honours thesis at the same time. And I said, oh, well, maybe I'll just do a deep head in between. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, I'd turn up to um, my deep head um, classes and... I'd be falling asleep. No. I feel so terrible about this. But it's because I literally did like um, a whole weekend of just no sleeping to work on the newspaper deadlines. Mm -hmm. So I had done the dip ed and I wanted to prove after my undergraduate degree, yes, I can earn a living from yeah. music. music yep. So, yeah, it was really important for me to, to prove that. And um, I actually worked as a, a teacher, a school teacher, um, for nine years, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, while I was teaching, I started my master's in music okay. at the conservatorium. And um, the whole time I was teaching through that, and then I really stopped teaching uh, or, or high school teaching when I got the scholarship to do um, full-time PhD research. Yeah. So, um I'm sure Tamara actually knows you quite well, so she would already know the answer to this question, but what instruments do you play? <laughs> I started off on the piano. We had a, a family friend who had a piano and I was just, oh, I, I so very much looked up to this girl that, that could play the piano and I, I think it was the one thing that I really wanted mm -hmm. as a young young youngster. Um, so then I started having piano. My mum, it was the happiest day of my mum that <laughs> life when she um, she she got a, a second-hand or third-hand um, <laughs> old piano and I started having piano lessons from this um, lovely old lady who, who refused to take money so my mum would take fruit as a gift um, 
each each week we had um, lessons. So piano is my main instrument. Um, currently, I probably play um, a pump organ the most. It's an instrument that my my husband, who's also a microtonian musician, <laughs> um, that uh, an instrument that he has sort of um, redesigned and it plays microtonal scales. Um, but I dabble with whatever I can get my hands mm-hmm. on. Um, I've got a, a another side project making, um, we call them microtonal flutes, but mainly recorders. Oh, yep. <laughs> and the recorders have uh, a bad reputation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> when played properly, they are a beautiful instrument. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a wind instrument that um, you, I understand why mm-hmm. they're given to school kids. You can make sound with them. Yeah, um, you can make a lot of sound Yeah, sound, sound with them. is the word, not music. <laughs> <laughs> For three blind mice. Yeah. <laughs> Depending on how hard you blow and how well you cover the holes, you can make a lot of different notes. Yes, yeah. it's true, yeah. So the idea with that particular project is to try and help um, a wind player get the notes that we want for mm-hmm. our microtonal tunings um, a little bit more easily than having to adjust their mouth or different fingerings. Mm-hmm. So you're doing your PhD, you have a scholarship for your PhD, and you have no barriers on what your PhD can be. Uh, <laughs> so with absolutely open scope, how did you come to the project you actually did? Um, what was the name of your... Um... Map- mapping the microtonal spectrum for uh, using Irv Wilson's generalised keyboard. So you have your area. <laughs> so the generalised keyboard PhD is just a standard. titles are terrible, aren't they? Yeah, they tell you. <laughs> they don't exactly um, roll off the tongue, but they do tell you the, the story. <laughs> it took me a few years, actually, to be honest, to figure out what my thesis was about. I, I knew I was interested in a particular tuning theorist mm-hmm. by the name of Irv Wilson. He's an American tuning theorist um, who I've... I met a few times over the years. I actually, this is not a good way to do your PhD. Um, but I actually spent the first few years doing a little this and a little that. Mm-hmm. I kept myself busy with little projects without really knowing what my PhD was about. Mm-hmm. And somehow I managed to convince people who make decisions about whether I can keep going with my <laughs> yeah. PhD or not that I was actually. You totally were on a path and you were going to get yeah, somewhere. I was, you know, <laughs> writing papers and attending conferences and things like that. Mm-hmm. But this particular theorist is renowned for being um, very difficult to understand unless you know some basic things about how he thinks and mm-hmm. how he makes uses diagrams and things like that. And I think this is something in the creative arts. We generally, um, a PhD student designs, proposes their own project as opposed to um, coming into um, their supervisor's projects. Mm-hmm. And so it does put the responsibility on us to um, really figure out what we want to research. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I wanted to look at this particular um, theorist's work and then I had to find a way into it because his, his work is very complex but it's also extremely broad. Mm-hmm. And how to tackle such a, an area, it was actually my, my husband who is um, who we met through microtonal <laughs> music actually, um, who who also studied with this theorist for over three decades, and he suggested that the one area that um, would probably help tie things together would be um, a, a keyboard design. Mm-hmm. So in the title, this this generalized keyboard, 
um, was a, an idea that this theorist pursued over his lifetime. Um, so when you start opening up what's possible in music, mm-hmm. um, it's almost opens up too much possibility. So how do you figure things out from there? So if your standard instruments like the standard piano are no longer um fit the bill, mm-hmm. then what do you replace it with? Musicians, composers need other tools to experiment. And so the generalised keyboard was his solution, a, a tool for future music- musicians to mm-hmm. be able to use. And um, my my research ended up being, well, how do you take different tunings um, that people invent that we don't know um, what they're going to be exactly yet but how can we have a a sort of almost like a universalized um, instrument system Mm -hmm. that allows people to map all sorts of different notes onto a a keyboard so they could um, like an electronic keyboard and train it to understand the micro notes that you want to use no not necessarily it's more more about how to um, structure scales and how to place them onto some sort of instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to be electronic, although that would be the most obvious way to do it with current technology. Um, during the lifetime of this theorist, he, he passed away a few years ago. Um, it was a constant sort of battle. He, he almost he, he had to wait for the technology yeah, to, to catch up, <laughs> develop. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And even now, although there have been attempts to make this instrument there's I'm still waiting for one that I can really 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 use as just an everyday tool. So how do you gather data for that kind of PhD? My PhD wasn't really I don't I wouldn't call it data based Mm -hmm. um it it was theoretical like music theory um and then another interesting part of um a lot of creative arts degrees is the possibility of um doing creative work mm-hmm. as part of your research. Mm-hmm. So I have a, my, my submission actually involved a thesis, um, like a traditional thesis, mm-hmm. as well as um, a portfolio of music. So compositions, oh, yeah. Yeah. some of them were notated scores, recordings of performances. Um, so that that um, is it like a, the idea there is that through the creation of your work, you are also learning um, mm-hmm. or you're applying some of the theories to the work. As you compose, it sort of raises these other questions that then feed back into the, the research. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a cyclical process. Is that a piece of music yeah. we could hear? Yeah. I mean, some of these tunings are quite subtle and mm-hmm. so um, oh, it can may not the be human ear, obvious. Ear but detect. I was thinking maybe yeah. I could send you... My partner and I, we we perform together as a duo on his (laughs) instruments that he's designed and maybe the tuning on, on, on that track is a little bit more noticeable. The and with the magic of editing, a few of the instruments. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so the instruments um, on this particular recording, they 
they look a little bit familiar. So I play something called a, a pump organ or a reed organ, mm. and it's called that because um, I actually pump air oh, the pedals. pedals. Yeah. 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 Um, but the thing is, it might look like a regular organ, but each the note magic's happening inside. Yes. Yeah. Re- retuned. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so sometimes we get we get young kids who you try and play like something they learned on the piano and they go, oh, that's that's not <laughs> at all how it's supposed to sound. And um, my uh, partner, Craig Grady is his name, he plays um, a vibraphone, mm-hmm. which also has been retuned. You actually ended up with a, a range of products that came out of your PhD. So you had the traditional thesis, but also your compositions and um, sort of demonstrating how this instrument would work. Um, so... If you could explain to the layperson, why is your research important? Like what is the value that we that the community gets out of this sort of research project? Sometimes I like to be a little bit controversial and I say, ah, the 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 12 notes that we use to make music on, on the piano, we, I think that system's a bit out of date. It's not enough. <laughs> for, a, for a couple of centuries at least, mm-hmm. um, especially in Western music, and we shouldn't forget that in other cultures, they use their own different scales, mm-hmm. um, and um, I'm, I'm hoping that my research um, sort of breaks what musicians might just assume or take for granted are the, the tools for making music. To just break that open and provide new tools or a new knowledge for how to make a different music that we haven't already. Well, to explore new mm-hmm. types of um, resources for making music. People can be creative in all new ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Does this sort of music come from your from the Japanese culture? Is it anything that's been in there? I'm not sure. Um, um, I'm in an interesting situation because even though my parents are Japanese, I've pretty much lived in Australia mm-hmm. for most of my life. Um, so I think the Japanese influence is, is, is there. I'm not sure specifically how. Probably others can see it more than I can myself. Um, I think it's more, maybe more generally an awareness that there are other the options. System <laughs> is one yeah. way yeah. amongst many others. Yeah, I, I can think of one um, early as a university student. Um, we had an early assignment for a subject called ethnomusicology, where it's about the study of uh, musical cultures other mm. than Western music, um, and it was a, a, a unit on Aboriginal music. Mm. We had an assignment where we had to listen to a, 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 a song. A recording and we had to transcribe it into western notation i didn't know at the time but I, I remember being really struck by a particular parts of the song which just didn't fit in with the notes of the mm. piano so i had to figure out well how do i notate that and uh, thinking back now that was that's what you were picking up on one. yeah microtones yeah, yeah yeah so how long did it take to do to complete your phd <laughs> Ooh, I, was a very I know that's a bit of a rude question <laughs> to someone who's done a PhD. How long did it take, really? <laughs> you can probably tell from my cringing and the fact that I confess that it took me a few years to figure out what a PhD was. Quite a long time. I think um, I think it ended up being eight years. Mm-hmm. So I started off full-time on the scholarship and then partway through that um, I got the, the chance to start teaching at mm-hmm. the university. In fact, actually, while I was um doing my um, PhD, I was doing a bit of tutoring, not in music but in Japanese, to earn a <laughs> bit of money in the summer um, because I taught a lot of Japanese mm. in high schools up to that point as well. Um, and then I started teaching music 
part-time as well as tutoring Japanese part-time as well as doing... <laughs> Just spread yourself a little thing. Yeah. part-time. Um, That's not burning the candle at all the ends. <laughs> <laughs> um, so other things happened. Um, mm-hmm. my, all my supervisors ended up leaving the university um, and it was quite a, a tough, tough yeah, period. That would have been um, challenging. Yeah, so it took me a while. And then what ended up happening is um, I I was given a new supervisor, not in music. It was a, uh, She was a professor in creative writing. And it was probably the yeah. best thing that could have happened for my PhD um, because I needed a little bit of, a, bit of yeah. a, a, a kick up the backside to get put it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fantastic. She gave me permission to write uh, in a way that... Um, she encouraged me. She said, it doesn't matter. Even if it's a technical thesis, you need to tell the story. Mm-hmm. So um, she freed me up a little bit, I think, um, instead of trying to be technical and official and proper the whole time. She said, we need to understand the motivation for why you're researching mm-hmm. what you're researching. You need an introduction at the beginning of this chapter. You can't just go straight into the technical <laughs> stuff. Um, and she, her, her name is um, Professor Cathy Cole. She, I, I really... Um, thank her for for getting me over the line and Mm -hmm. teaching me um, how to write differently and also um, how to supervise other people as well perhaps. Mm. Yeah, it's really valuable to learn from someone who supervised you well. Um, Mm. So you've talked a lot about what went wrong or uh, the challenges (laughs) you had, (laughs) but what are some of the exciting things that happened during your PhD? I've, I've met a lot of um, other fellow PhD uh, well, students at the time who have gotten to the point where by the end of the PhD they're just so sick of their topic <laughs> and they're over it and they said, never want to see it again. Uh, whereas I loved my um, topic and I, I uh, every second day, literally, I will be looking at the papers of this particular theorist who I think is, well, I know we use the word genius a little bit too often, but he, his mind works in such an incredible way. Mm-hmm. And I would be just shaking my head and this is crazy. How could this be? And I, this man is a genius. I would be saying that every, <laughs> literally every second day. And you got the chance and, to meet him a few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, there must by have the been. time I met him, he was, he was um, uh, an older man mm-hmm. and he had probably stopped really working in, in mm-hmm. theoretical sort of doing the theoretical work at the time uh, by then but he has left literally thousands and thousands of papers and diagrams and bits and pieces um it would take several people's lifetimes to really make sense <laughs> Patch of it all together yeah. yeah so i i loved my topic and i actually still <laughs> still do <laughs> you're still in it yeah. yeah i feel as though the phd is a really privileged time mm-hmm. At, at, where you you set a few years for yourself to really work on something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I do think that it's it's a privilege to be able to spend that time really obsessing over something that <laughs> that really gets you fired up. Obsessing is a good word. <laughs> and would you do it again? Would you do a PhD yeah. again? Oh, would I do a PhD again? Yeah. <laughs> If all the, if <laughs> everything aligned, no. <laughs> like all you mean, the... Yeah, I, I, you're not asking whether I'd do another PhD. No. But, yeah, I would definitely do it. Yeah. Do, do, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's, I'm glad that I've done it and, mm. yes, I would do it again, yeah. 
you sort of brought your work into your PhD and you already got started as a, a lecturer and teaching during your PhD. So the question of how did you get from your PhD to work is a bit irrelevant. You were already there. Um, well, I think it involved a lot of um, luck as well because I get a lot of um, students who say, oh, I want your job. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, getting a PhD, get me there. And the, the I, unfortunately, no, there's not that many positions to teach in music um, at tertiary level mm. um, at the moment. So you wouldn't have yeah. your current position unless you had a PhD? Not necessarily. I think there's a lot of luck and timing involved, but, yeah, probably not mm. at this point. Mm. So do you still draw on your research skills in your daily role now, do you think, or I suppose you're doing your research but in, in other parts of your work yeah, um, re- research is considered a key part of being an academic. So, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, and I'm still working in the area that my PhD research was on. Mm-hmm. Reflecting now, how would you summarise the the experience that you had in your PhD? It was tough. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I realised I was living constantly under a cloud of guilt. Mm-hmm. So, oh, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be reading another article mm-hmm. or... And the greatest joy I had after finishing my PhD was I could read um, fiction. Yeah. <laughs> um, read for fun, not and just not feel, for... And, and not feel guilty. Mm. Um, it was tough, but uh, I'm so glad I did it. Mm. And um, the research that I did for my PhD, the thesis, the bulk of that actually ended up becoming um, a book, a, pub- a published book. And um, I'm, 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 I'm pleased with it. And I'm amazed um, when I get the occasional sort of um, email saying, thank you. So that's a big Something, reward for mm-hmm. yeah, yeah all that it work. Means that the, the research that I, I did has been helpful for for some people out there, um, and it's the, the research. The book is the kind of book that I wish I had when I was starting my PhD. So if it's helping some other people, I think that's fantastic. Well, and then you know your research is having an impact. Out people out there are actually reading it. I do feel with some theses. They never leave the bookshelf mm-hmm. um, and nobody ever opens them except you, your examiners, and maybe your mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's sort of um, sobering when you're told that while you're doing your PhD. <laughs> <laughs> no one's actually going to read it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and were you able to, so in addition to the book, did you publish articles? Um, not so much. So because my field, it's it's quite new to academia I think you could it's probably still fair to say Mm. so in order to publish like a a small article I felt as though we needed the basics the groundwork Mm -hmm. set and so I'm hoping that the book has done done that that, so that you're not constantly having to explain things from ground zero um yeah so I went for the book more than articles did you have to rewrite any of it to become the book or is it the book is the thesis yeah, no, I added um, a whole really new, really substantial <laughs> chapter, um, added a glossary. Do you have the so... book handy? Oh, I do, yeah. <laughs> it's not holding up your monitor then or anything like that. <laughs> oh, beautiful. So the title changed a little bit, which is which is probably a little bit more um, easy to remember. Yeah, a bit accessible, title. yeah. It, might, it must have yeah. been a pretty amazing day to get your book yeah, but, and um, open it asked... and smell that book smell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been asking this question and people are giving quite different answers, but to you, what is a PhD? I think what I was saying before was mm. a PhD is an opportunity to really get stuck into um, 
an area that you're interested in finding out more. Dig but maybe well, I think just more generally about research, um, it's it's a bit like um, like like the magic pudding. Um, the more you sink your teeth into it, the more questions um, arise. The more you find out, the more you want to learn, the more you want to <laughs> yep. know. So it's like the gift that keeps giving in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the the you poked the bear, and now you can't sort of unring that bell. <laughs> you, you know what's out there now. You have to find out more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what do you say to students who ask you about whether or not the PhD is a good idea for them when they're, like, uh, graduating from their undergraduate degree? What sort of advice? Uh, it, uh, clearly that also depends on the... The student. The but, student, but if you're if there's yeah. people listening who are, might be interested to a bit more of a general comment. I think... It would depend a little bit on the particular individual's motivation as well. So if they think the PhD is just going to lead automatically to a particular kind of job, Mm -hmm. especially in my area, I would just caution them against that. Um, I think it's crucial for them to be clear about what they want to research um, so yeah. you, you're not recommending going in with a broad field well, and nothing I think, else. <laughs> I think the rules are, are so much. I mean, it, they were strict when I was doing mine, but um, yeah, if you don't get it done within a particular number of years, yes, there's goodbye, a lot gonna, more. Yeah. Get it in three years, or mm-hmm. don't yeah. waste your time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if you, yeah, so so find a topic that you think you could really live with and obsess over for for a good three years mm-hmm. is what I would say to them. Yeah. And for students who are finishing school, um, who have that pressure to make decisions or family pressure to make other decisions, what what do you say to those students? Mm. Two two things: um, the decisions the, the the decisions you make while you're at school, you might feel at the time, oh gosh, I've got to make sure I've I've I've, I've chosen my right subjects, mm. um, but. I mean, it's good to keep your options open, but to be honest, I I didn't study music uh, in the final years of high school. Mm. I, <laughs> I did I yep. did math and science <laughs> yeah. and and languages. Um, so, but that didn't stop me. Mm. I mean, as an undergraduate, maybe I felt a little bit disadvantaged because I hadn't done um, music for the the HSC. But uh, it doesn't matter. You make up for it. So. Um, it's not the end of the world. There's mm-hmm. always opportunities for you to to to, to change mm-hmm. or to pursue new things. Um, and I think also, generally speaking, it's good to go for what you're passionate about, what you're excited about, um, as well as what maybe you're, you're good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so these days, uh, your parents happy with your choices? <laughs> I think they've come to terms with it, especially after I married another musician. Um, but, you know, at my age, my, my, um, my mother... They're not expecting you to go back and become a mother. <laughs> because doctor. Tamara knows my mum. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> she still tells me, oh, you know, she could have done medicine. <laughs> But she knows that I'm no good with blood. Like, if I had to, uh, so. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I, I have to I leave the, the room right before I myself. give you an, an inoculation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and where is your thesis these days, other than the book? Where is it physically? Where do you keep it? Oh, um, <laughs> find my bookshelf next to my desk, and I have a, a copy um, in my office. So if a student comes in, oh, I think you're doing honors, and mm-hmm. I, I, I might. 
I don't know what to do for my thesis and I just sort of whip out my students on my own thesis and go, this is what this was. Yeah. Um, yeah. But actually, um, in, as a book now, um, it's a bit different to the thesis, but I, I actually refer to the book sometimes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, that's a good question. And then I'll look at my index, which took me forever to do, and um, I'm using my own my own book as a bit of a reference sometimes, which sounds a bit nerdy. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'll go back and read some of my things and go, oh, that was pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's nice when you do that, isn't it? <laughs> so ready for our last question um, that we have for you. So um, during the PhD and perhaps during your your time in academia, um, well, we just want you to reflect on maybe some of the myths that you've heard that you think might be worth putting a pin in that, that you would like to address and set the record straight on about what it means to have a PhD or to be an academic. Uh, no, it's going to come out the wrong way. I was going to say, not everyone who has a PhD. No, just because you don't have a PhD doesn't mean that you are not. Ah, see, that's a much more political way to say a PhD doesn't mean that you're a smart person necessarily. Or yeah, see, that's that's how yeah. I say it. No, and we know what you mean. Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, we do know what you mean. Yeah, and probably a PhD is not for everyone, mm-hmm. and it's not the solution to everyone. For, for, for everyone. So if you think a PhD is going to be um, the solution to your life problems, that's probably not a good point at which mm-hmm. to do a PhD. Having said that, though, it's a fantastic <laughs> thing to do. Like you, you really feel like, ah, I've achieved something. Mm-hmm. I've put my ideas down on paper. Um, yeah, it's right here. This is what I did. Here's some new knowledge <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'm bringing it to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So do you think you could have done your thesis in three years? If you if you had known if you had known before you were starting that you were going to do that topic and that was your starting point, could you have even completed it within three years? I don't think so because it took me. It actually takes time to. You, you need to live with a topic, mm. and because, um, it was an area where really there wasn't a lot of writing. I mean, I had all these papers, but when I say papers, a lot of it's diagrams or almost cryptic <laughs> sort of annotations to the diagrams. There was so, people who had knowledge about this um, were people who had done individual sort of study with the theorists, sort of one-on-one talking. So mm-hmm. there's nothing written. Um, and I needed to, first of all, get my head around it. Um, so no, I don't think I could have really. So do you think that the three-year thing is a bit of a barrier to that kind of theoretical start of research? I think it's a shame. I mean, I, you hear of other people who have done theses over longer than what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you have to sort of put a you know box. You have to cra- at some yeah, point. <laughs> yeah. Um, otherwise, people yeah. would go forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But a creative thesis, which mm-hmm. is so theory driven, um, it's hard to say I can get this done in three years and. To go, take it to the university and say, I want a scholarship for three years because this can be done in three years. You don't know that until you've mm-hmm. started. I mean, some some people can. Mm-hmm. Um, it maybe depends on the size of the project. My, my project ended up being huge and I realised now that I didn't have to write quite so many words as I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think it would have been tough and uh, it's a shame that we we sort of have to mm-hmm. deliver things within time. So I guess that's, that's life. Yeah, mm-hmm. it does. Well, thank you. It's really good to see yeah, you, even though you're over <laughs> across the borders. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. I enjoyed it. 
The very last thing that we should end with is a huge thank you to all of the people who came and gave their time to be interviewed for this um, podcast series. It's, very generous. It was very generous of them and it was so fascinating. And uh, after every interview, I felt so inspired <laughs> to be a researcher and, and to use my PhD. So it was a very eye-opening experience and a, um, a, a really interesting experience. Yes, and we're really very grateful to yeah. every single one of them. But we're also especially grateful to Dr. Sharon Pittman for yeah, telling us, gave us the, about the grant. <laughs> the inside story about the grant. Yes. yes. She gave us the inside story about the grant that we applied for and we got, which supported um, the production of this podcast. So thank you to Inspiring South Australia and to Sharon uh, for your very generous um, support of our podcast. Thanks for listening to Career Sessions with Dr. Stephanie Champion and Dr. Tamara Agnew. If you like the show and want to know more, check out www.careersessions.com where you can send us your suggestions for future series and subscribe so you know when a new episode is posted. If you love it, tell all your friends and please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks to our sponsor, Inspiring South Australia, for their generous support, and to our producer, Rory, at Podbooth. Join us next time when we talk careers with another leader in the field.